0: Welcome to the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm your host, Paula Crossfield, a Vedic astrologer and business coach helping you to live in your purpose. And that is what this podcast is all about. So let's jump right in to the conversation. Hello, hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield. I'm so thrilled you're here. Welcome. If you're new, this is actually a great podcast to start with because I'm going to share a podcast that I actually recorded on the Simple Ayurveda podcast with Angela Perger because I think it gives you a sense of the work that I do. Angela is a former client of mine, so we talk a little bit about that, but also a lot about the planets and how they impact us in business and karma and a lot of juicy things that I think you all will enjoy. So before we jump in there, I just want to remind you that the 2023 astrology guidebook is now for sale. What this is is all the lay low dates for 2023 that I have handpicked, as well as my auspicious dates. All of the holidays from the Indian calendar, which change according to the moon, they are in there. And I explain how you as a business owner can use these to your advantage, um, when to lay low, when to do your spiritual practices and all about the moon. So it's placement when it's new and full, when it is debilitated, when there's an eclipse, all that information with details. So you can actually drop it into your Google calendar for the year ahead and you will see in the descriptions all the things you need to know. So you don't even have to be super well-versed in astrology for this to be useful for you to help you plan ahead. Also, 100% of the profits are going to two charities that are super close to my heart. One of them is the Indigenous Environmental Network. This is an indigenous-led environmental organization that brings awareness to environmental issues. And the second is Ashadeep School in Varanasi for underprivileged children. And if you've listened to the podcast with Connie Rao, she's the headmaster of that school and explains a lot about the work that they do there. Okay. I hope you enjoy this interview that Angela conducted with me, and we will see you next week.
1: Hello. Welcome to the Simple Ayurveda podcast. I am so thrilled to have you here. I would love for you to introduce yourselves to the audience
0: hi angela thank you it's really awesome to be here with you i'm paula crossfield and i'm a business coach and vedic astrologer so i help spiritual entrepreneurs up level their business make more impact and make more money and utilizing the strategies i've learned through like 15 years of marketing and social media and writing and editing and all of the things Plus my 10 years of deep dive study with some of the best teachers in the world of Vedic astrology. So we combine those things to find elegant timing and figure out how to help people step more into their genius. It was really fun. I love what I do.
1: Thank you. Yes. And what attracted me to your work is this merging of spirituality and business. And so can you tell us about how you bring abundance together as part
0: of the spiritual path? Sure. So... In the spiritual world there are a lot of narratives around what it means to have money and I've noticed a lot with my friends that you know there's some I don't know what to call it I guess some shame like if you're earning money somehow you're going to become a bad person or your spiritual practice will not be as solid or it will distract you from what you're really here to do I really see it quite the opposite for me having enough to thrive having Abundance in your life means that you can give back in really big ways and you can show up in the world in a way that shows other people what's possible. Meaning, you know, I, I live from a spiritual frame and have been able to create, I'll be really concrete here. I live on a 160 acre farm and all of my money goes into regenerating this land, which has been historically neglected and used really by like a kind of colonial perspective on things for over a hundred years. So, you know, the trees were clear cut and the land has been over, uh, overused without putting more fertility back in the soil. A lot of the abundance that I've been able to, to get, I, I go, goes right to the land and helps to regenerate this land for future generations. So thinking about things in a different way, like how can I embody my spirituality and step more into the public eye and, and show people what's possible That's where I get really excited and love to help people who are also interested in that. Yes. And you
1: have expanded my perspective so much, but I feel like even backing it up, something I learned from you is I have felt that shame and I've also felt like I wanted to earn money so I could share it. But then I kind of bypassed the part where me being comfortable
0: as part of that process. Mm Mm-hmm. And often before we can even share, you know, there's just like, how do we develop a feeling of safety for ourselves and our family? I think there's so many narratives in our world today that keep us small, that keep us from really stepping into our Dharma, honestly, and doing the things that we're supposed to be doing because we're getting so many narratives about working harder and, you know, exploiting ourselves really and pushing ourselves to burn out for other people's visions. So it's important that we just, first of all, develop a level of safety within ourselves and a feeling of thriving. And what I found with my clients is when they start to really thrive, it actually exponentially grows their potential for how they can help their clients. So I try to explain that to people when they're undercharging. It's like there is a cost to the deliverable. Like what what you're giving to your clients is going to change once you're able to feel in your body like... I am safe at a fundamental level financially. I hear this word tossed around and I'd love for you to explain it. What is money karma? I love this question so much. <laughs> this is one of my favorite topics. I know you've talked about karma on your podcast before. Just to kind of define it, it's it's like Newton's third law. For every action, there will be an equal reaction. It's something that's kind of inscrutable It has been said that even the gods don't understand karma. I'm saying that to kind of situate us. Money karma is like the specific imprint upon your your life, your chart when you were born that kind of shows your capacity to save, your capacity to earn, your capacity for working for yourself, for example, and the timing of all of that. And while that sounds really restrictive, I actually hold a view that it's it's quite mutable, especially if you're lucky enough to like have a birth chart because not everyone in the world knows their birth time. You're lucky enough to come across a Vedic astrologer or come across this knowledge, then most likely you have a really high capacity to change your money karma patterns. And so... I'm a great example of that. Like if you looked at my chart, the period that I'm in right now, you wouldn't think that I would be able to earn the way that I am. There's a lot of nuance that goes into this as well, because my partner actually has really good money karma, but not really good career karma. So when we got married, my money karma changed because his money is coming in through me as a channel. So when I work with people, I'm sort of looking at what is your, your map, your life like? Like who are you connected to? Because your money karma is not just about you. And this, of course, like ties into the larger spiritual thing that we're all connected, right? So we have certain responsibilities in the world and those responsibilities, like for you, your children, like looking at their money karma. Maybe you are set to earn more so that they can have a different kind of life. You know, So there's all these interconnected webs involved. And then there's actual remedies that we can do to help improve our personal money karma. Like say, if you're the type of person who's good at saving, but not good at earning or vice versa, there are remedies that you can do for those particular areas or whatever planets are afflicting those areas of your chart so that you can earn more or so that you can hold on to more.
1: I feel like, yeah, there's so many um, paths we could take from what you just said, That I know that the listeners are probably wondering what's a remedy.
0: Yeah. So remedies, there are two schools of thought kind of in Vedic astrology. There's like the old school, only Brahmins learned Vedic astrology and they just tell it like it is like they're kind of surgical when they tell you things and they're just like, do this remedy or else, you know, this or this. And it it can be very hard to hear those messages. I like to say that they don't necessarily have a good bedside manner. The way that I view things, there is possibility in anything. Like I said, like just being aware is a huge remedy. That's the, the biggest remedy, actually. It's then what do we do after that? So a remedy could be something really esoteric. Like if you're afflicted by the planet Saturn, let's say, then maybe feeding crows and there's not a clear through line for the average person. Like, what is that even? I don't understand how that works. Really the power of a remedy comes from intention. The intention is I'm focusing on this and intending to help remediate my relationship with Saturn. There are also very practical remedies. There's a lot of like mantras, the the sounds that are produced are actually helping to shift the karma within us when we do a mantra. There's doing service. That's a really good one for Saturn, for example, like helping the elderly, helping people who are infirm, helping people who who are in prisons, for example, are really good remedies for Saturn. Donation. You know, So it comes in different forms and it's really based on what is particularly afflicting you in your chart and what you want to accomplish or what kind of obstacles there are that you want to move through. So a good Vedic astrologer can help you pick a remedy that's going to help.
1: So let's talk about the planets and how they influence the chart and money and abundance.
0: (laughs) So I guess we could start with Saturn. Sure. So, you know, the planets are archetypes. In the Vedic system, there are nine. I'm sure your listeners have heard other people talk about this on your podcast, but we have the five visible planets, which are Mercury, Venus, Mars, Saturn, and Jupiter. We have the two luminaries, Sun and Moon. And then we have Rahu and Ketu, who are the North Node and South Node, which are shadow planets, They're placements in the sky where the eclipses happen. So just to kind of situate us Saturn and Jupiter are the slowest moving planets. It takes Saturn about 30 years to move around the Zodiac. It takes Jupiter about 12 years. Saturn is the slowest moving planet. So the way that he impacts us most is by delaying things. And the reason that he delays things is not to frustrate us, maybe to help us develop patience, but more to the point to help refine us and help us get more disciplined, help us master something. So that's the highest Incarnation of Saturn, the hardest parts of Saturn to digest are that he causes fear or doubt. And so you can see this in the chart by how he's aspecting different planets to create that kind of flavor or what houses he's aspecting or in. But essentially, he will create fear around something that is something we have to unpack in this lifetime. It's said that he's the planet of experience, meaning he helps us experience our karmas. They're highly uncomfortable things that we're supposed to go through in life so that we come out on the other side. We've kind of purged that karma. Hopefully we've been as non-reactive as possible going through the karma um, and we're able to refine ourselves and maybe even take what we've learned and help someone else with it that's really kind of the ultimate outcome so Saturn's not here to make us miserable he's he's actually here to help us see our divine nature and that everything is changeable and kind of help us to stay steady in a world where things are constantly changing falling apart falling into chaos and reforming I'm following so
1: much and thinking about all the things I've learned with from you in relationship to Saturn and I feel like something we could talk about that will be really helpful for listeners are Practical ways that you work with the energy of Saturn?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, you know, Saturn causes disappointment. His main, like, taste, if you're talking from an Ayurvedic perspective, is bitterness. Like, when you think of bitterness, it's like you just want to put something sweet in your mouth because you don't want to taste that unless you're really good and accustomed to tasting that, which most of us aren't. So, how do we develop kind of an underlying satisfaction no matter what's going on? How do we develop a relationship with the present moment really is what we're asking, you know, because even when the hardest things are happening, for example, last, uh, last year around this time, actually my mom's house burned down and it was really hard for me. It was hard for her. Obviously she was safe. She had insurance, but we lost so much and she's, you know, almost 70. So it was really hard to see her have to go through that at this point in her life. And I remember like we had all these beautiful flowers blooming we had tomatoes and i was canning tomatoes so there's like this mix of joy and difficulty and trying to stay in the present moment i'm sitting there canning my tomatoes with this new reality like how how do i kind of mine <laughs> the the pleasure or the joy in the situation so that i can move through the difficulty and it's not easy i'm not saying i'm a master at it i'm definitely a work in progress but You know, this is the work of our life and it will be even more so, you know, with like climate change and the things that are going on socially, especially in the United States. We have to stay steady and be able to find the gems within our day, find a little pleasure in different corners of our day so that we don't just feel steamrolled by all the difficulty. And that is how you develop a relationship with Saturn. So you can do a remedy you can do the hanuman chalisa which is you know about 8 minutes if you learn to sing it um if you haven't learned to sing it i highly recommend krishna das has a, a like an audio book called flow of grace i think where there's several different versions and one is very slow so you can learn it that way and this is an excellent remedy for saturn so if you feel like you're totally oppressed by your reality, like by your responsibilities, you know, you find yourself just feeling like there's not enough time for yourself. That's a really great kind of remedy that doesn't take so long. I mean, I say that like once you've learned it, (laughs) it doesn't take so long to do it. The reason that Hanuman relates so much to Saturn is it's said that he's one deity that's sort of untouched by Saturn. And the reason is because he holds this deep frame of service of understanding his role, and really being guided by the divine. And I think we can learn so much from that kind of way, that archetype, that way of being in the world. And so doing the Chalisa helps to cultivate that within us. So that's a really kind of straightforward way. And if you don't want to learn the whole Chalisa, Dr. Robert Zabota teaches a song on his YouTube, which is called Jaya Hanuman. It's much shorter. And I did that for a long time before I actually learned the Chalisa. So... The beauty of India is there's always a remedy for everyone. So like, even if you don't have time to do Jayahanamon, you can just say Jay Ram.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Thanks for the shortcut for like the moms who are so overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah. Begin to learn something that's 10 minutes yet. <laughs> totally. And so let's talk a little bit about Jupiter.
0: These two planets kind of go hand in hand, you know, Saturn, constricts and it forces us to focus and master. And these are things that are really hard in these times. Jupiter is like a benefic. It's all about grace and expansion and wisdom and clarity. So it's got kind of a more sweet taste association. So it's one that's easier to gravitate towards. But the way that I work with this planet, like with my clients, so I'll back up and say like Saturn, doing Saturn things in your business looks like you know, creating a budget and knowing exactly what number you need to bring in to pay for all your business expenses, for example, and your home expenses. Working with Jupiter looks like being able to imagine forward what you want your life to look like, what you want your life to feel like, what you want your business to feel like who you want to be giving back to once you grow your income to beyond your number, the ways that you love to feel when you're working with clients and your ideal clients. You know, so that's the kind of energy of Jupiter is sort of visioning forward what you want your life to feel like. So Jupiter is an expansive planet. It really helps us to tap into wisdom traditions and find teachers and just gain a level of clarity and purpose, really, it helps us to step into our Dharma. It's really the planet of Dharma. So it's a much easier planet to experience than Saturn. Do you see patterns or tendencies of
1: your clients being like more in the work of Jupiter and neglecting the work of Saturn or vice
0: versa? I think it's both. They both go so hand in hand. I think sometimes people get paralyzed by the fears that they're organizing around for, you know, and that's really Saturn. And that paralyzation keeps them from visioning. It makes them too scared to kind of open up their aura to what's possible. Both are true. And sometimes we master certain things around Saturn... And then we find there's another layer. I mean, that's happened to me so many times. It's like you get clear on your number and then you open up to the next level or you're ready to like raise your prices or whatever. There's gonna always be new work and new stories that emerge, you know, that you've got to work on within yourself in order to cut in order to kind of like overcome some of the fear. And then the visioning process also just keeps opening up. It's like I was saying earlier, we have to envision a way to work that's going to help us thrive. And then we open up to what's possible next. You know, it's like, oh, wait, if I had more, I could develop a retreat center on our land and have teachers come here and teach. Or I could, you know, give back this land, I could pay off my mortgage and give back this land to the tribe, the Wabanaki tribe that used to own this land, like upon our death, because we don't have children. So, you know, what is our legacy going to be, you know, that's all the questioning of Jupiter, and you kind of grow into the next stage of that.
1: So beautiful. and just, yeah, let's talk a little bit about how spiritual practice and business are mirrors of each other. Because I feel like what you just said, this idea of giving your land back when you're done with it. in this mm-hmm. lifetime. And I'm sure that kind of drives you on the days you don't feel like doing some of that Saturn work related to the business.
0: Yeah. Having a reason why you do the things you do is so important because that's, there will be hard days when you're like overwhelmed by whatever the world, your business, something goes wrong in your business, and you want to just throw the towel in. So you have to remember why you're doing it, you know? I was kind of
1: thinking about how I've heard you talk about how business is a mirror for the rest of your life. I was kind of thinking also, how business as a spiritual practice, like the things that you're doing. I mean, I feel like that sometimes even with my spiritual practices or wellness practices, I don't feel like doing my pranayama today, but I'm going to do it because I have this. So it's like the tendencies that show up when we're running a business or seeking abundance in this world are some of the tendencies that show up in our own spiritual practice too, or just like who we mm-hmm. are.
0: So yeah, I mean, one of the things I like to say a lot is, you know, I believe that we can make our businesses like our spiritual practices. And what I mean by that is like spacious, ecologically bound, you know, like being in in place, being divine, like being tapped into something greater than ourselves. And so, how can we reverse engineer a business that is like that? And that's actually what I have done. So I know, and I've helped others do it. You know, I've helped dozens of people do it. So I know it's possible. So I believe very deeply in that. Also, we're not separate. We cannot categorize. Things In such a way that like this is spiritual and this is not. Dr. Sabota tells this great story about uh, one of the saints of history named Namdev and how he met his guru. He went into this temple and the guy that was sitting in the temple had his feet up on the Shiva Linga. And if you know about India, like having your feet anywhere near something holy is like a, considered a desecration. Namdev was like, excuse me, sir, you you have to get your feet down from the linga. And he said, oh, son, I'm very old. Can you please help me move my feet? And so Namdev picked up the feet of the, this guy, put them to the side. And then another Shiva linga grew up underneath his feet. And he looked at Namdev and he said, tell me, son, where is it not holy place to put my feet? <laughs> and so the, immediately Namdev was like, oh, guru, you know, he like recognized that that was his guru because... That's true. Everything is sacred in this world. And so for me, business and relationships are where the rubber hits the road with your spiritual practice. You will learn who you really are. You will be tested. And by relationships, I mean, like Ram Dass used to say, you think you're spiritual, go home to your family for a week. (laughs) So it's similar. Like You think you're spiritual? Start a business and see how you can maintain your practice and still be able to do the work in the world that you're doing, that you're responsible for, that you're creating messages into the world around, that you're holding people in their transitions and their difficulties. That is where you really get tested. And so for me, like it forces me to be really diligent and disciplined about my own spiritual practice in the morning before I sit down with my clients. But I see what I'm doing with my clients as, like you said, a mirror of that. It's, it's like me tapping into that energy allows me to continue to tap in and sit with people at a very deep level and bring forward what it is that, you know, spirit wants to use to help them.
1: That makes total sense. I was just thinking about that. Like the more that we're in the work ourselves, the more we become a channel for divine energy to flow through, especially in conversations with clients or in what we're teaching. It's like less about forcing our will of what we want to say Mm -hmm. (laughs) rather than allowing. And it's, I feel like that's partially when business becomes a spiritual practice too, is we do all those things for Saturn. Like we have the budget, <laughs> but then um we're like less attached to the exact words we might use or like kind of um feeling like we have to get it perfect.
0: Yeah. And being a channel. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm curious to turn the tables on you for a moment and just hear about your experience with all of this. And like, does it ring true to you? Like what I'm saying about coming from a place of thriving when you're working with people and like making your business like a spiritual practice. Does that feel like it resonates?
1: Absolutely. And everyone listening knows that I worked with you in your one-on-one coaching container and then also took your group class. And I feel like having those things together was (laughs) the reinforcement that I needed because I was in such a place of feeling like all that stuff around what we learn about spirituality, like I have to do this work for free or it's not ethical to charge for something. Or, I mean, not even that I consciously believe those things, but I subconsciously believe them. Like they were imprinted in me through, I guess our society, we could say. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so like, I needed more than just kind of learning about it through a podcast. Like I needed hand holding <laughs> to pull yeah. me out of those trenches and, and like for you to hold the mirror and for me to actually see specific ways that I had limiting beliefs was super powerful. And I think I'm definitely still in the work. <laughs> like you said, it's like an onion, like a layer was peeled and now there's another layer to be peeled. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I feel like because I had support, I feel more joyful about it and more curious rather than like, there's this phrase that um, Shaman Derek uses alignment over hustle. Mm. <laughs> and I feel like when I'm working from like this fear-based place, kind of Saturn fear of like, Oh, I need to do this thing. That's a different kind of energy than being curious and, and like knowing that the bases are covered. So there's more room for exploration. I feel like that's been a big part too, is having structure in place so that the bases are covered, like having a spreadsheet and all of that and facing the fear of things that overwhelm me so that there's just more room for spaciousness.
0: Yeah. And I think that's part of the work of Saturn too, is like re-seeing things anew. Part of our karma is that we're going to keep meeting similar situations over and over again. And so sometimes like in business, we keep having the same kind of situation come up or the same feeling, maybe it's like burnout or whatever, until we learn the lesson, you know? So one thing that's been really helpful to me is to think of it as like, how can I create a new creative brief for the situation? So... You know like in the design world there's a creative brief. It's like what are we trying to do here or what kind of parameters can we set or can we make it fun or can we set a timer or can we break to dance? You know, <laughs> like whatever it is that you need to kind of reinfuse the creativity into moving through a situation that you Are done with like oftentimes in a pivot in your business, when you're ready to like grow, there's still some lag time where you're serving people at the level that you were. And sometimes it's like, okay, I got to make it through this last bit here because this, this is not how I want to be working. So that happens again and again, as we grow, we just find that we're refining and getting closer to like a niche that we really feel good in that really serves people at our highest capacity.
1: I'm so glad you pointed that out because I have been listening to stories about healing and wellness. And oftentimes there'll be a story of a pivotal moment where someone realized they had to change their life. But then it's like, well, what happens 10 years later when you still (laughs) like for me, as you know, like having a chronic illness, I was diagnosed at 21. There was a pivotal moment and then there was another rock bottom and then there was finding Ayurveda and thinking I was cured. But then there was another rock bottom since then. And so Mm -hmm. it's like, I would love it if that story was like neatly tied up with a bow and I was done with it, (laughs) but I'm Mm -hmm. not. And it's kind of the same in business. But I feel like the difference is once we've done like enough work to be able to face the challenges with like a little bit more lightheartedness or a little bit more, I hate to use the word (laughs) non-attachment, a parigraha, you know, just like having a different perspective of the hardship.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I, I agree with you. You know, non-attachment feels hard because we are humans. We're in a body. Yeah. So it's more like a new perspective or holding ourselves in a different way or with new tools or more spaciousness or self-care time or whatever it is that we need to move through that thing, even rewarding ourselves <laughs> when we move through that thing, you know, whatever that looks like for the situation.
1: Yeah. And I feel like another gift is recognizing the friction before it gets to such a level of intensity. So for example, in business, realizing like this model that I'm working with right now, isn't working for me anymore. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And rather than letting it get to a point where it's like, I'm about to explode, recognizing that sooner in and starting to make
0: changes. Right. And that's so what Ayurveda is about. I mean, this is like Ayurveda applied to business in a certain way because we're trying to do prevention. We're trying to notice what's digesting well, either mentally or physically, right? Like, is this, this model of business digesting well? And then trying to meet it at the past, like trying to meet it before it becomes a chronic condition. Like Dr. Sabota always says, you want to Instead of like reaching a point and then falling off a cliff with your health, you want to kind of gradually go down a hill. (laughs) So it's it's kind of like that. You want to find places in your business that need to shift and then just kind of smoothly move through it rather than hitting a cliff point.
1: Yeah, that's so beautiful. And something that's popping in my head, just for a super tangible example is when I first started Simple Ayurveda, I was all about like, I want to share this with anyone that'll listen. There was a free Facebook group. There was so much things that I was giving away. And then I just realized it wasn't sustainable anymore. And I had zero joy in the Facebook group. (laughs) And so it was a little scary to close that. There were thousands of people in it and I had put a lot of time and energy into it, but I just realized like it wasn't creating the energy that I wanted anymore in my own life. And it felt like a drag to keep up with. So making that change and just moving to a membership community discussion where everyone kind of understands and abides by a respectful code is has been so empowering. And now there's 150 people in there versus 4,000, but every person that's in there. I never have to babysit the conversations. (laughs) I never have to delete anything. It's just a totally different kind of energy. And it's a joy to go in there and like have conversations. And so, you know, it's like a a layer was peeled away and I had to get clear on what is it? What is the purpose of the conversation
0: online? And this is so interesting because I have so many Ayurvedic practitioners who come to me to work one-on-one or work in my groups. You know, they're so passionate and they want to help people. And at this point... Within our community, like within the Vedic world, whatever you want to call it, the people who are in this space with yoga and Ayurveda and Vedic astrology and Vastu and all these different tools that have come out of this beautiful worldview, a lot of people know about Ayurveda. And so I help people differentiate themselves and find a sweet spot where they feel really good. And so it's it's beautiful because I can work with every Ayurvedic practitioner that comes to me and help them create their unique offering, you know, so... Going from like a broad offering to like, who do I want to be in this container with me is such a powerful experience, you know, so you went from like general in your Facebook group to being like, these are the kinds of things I'm going to talk about in here, basically develop a mini health coach program within your your membership, you know what I mean, and get people really applying this stuff to their life.
1: yeah and it's been amazing with your support to even get the Ayurveda health counselor program going and I feel like a big piece of that it was something that intuitively I knew I wanted to do for a few years but I think the subconscious reprogramming that had to happen which happened in our work together what was needed because I always had the tools I always had the master's degree in education and I'm a practitioner and all of that so like on paper everything was ready to go. <laughs> Mm-hmm. but there was limiting beliefs and like subconscious blocks that had to be addressed before I felt like that light was ready to shine or that I could shine it, I guess. So can you share a little bit about how you help people work through limiting subconscious
0: beliefs? Yeah. Can I use you as an example? Cause I opened your chart here. While sure. we were talking. <laughs> I mean, I remembered it, but I wanted to look more closely. So you know, for you, you've got Mars in the seventh, which is great for being your own boss. And Mars is this leadership planet. It's the planet of action, you know, and you're in a Mars period. So you've been able to really take what we did together and work on it and and create new outcomes for yourself, right? But of course, we have Saturn with Mars. So in your case, there's like is this the right action? Should I be doing this? Like there's a lot of fears that can come up from Saturn being on top of that planet of action. How I help people work through that is you through our project, through our work together, you're working on having a relationship with Saturn that's more mature, that's Not out of fear. It's working productively with those doubts. Like doubts are information. We don't embody it. We just like notice it. Right. So we worked on a lot of pulling apart of the things that Saturn kind of was doing to your Mars so that your Mars could be activated in a better way. So through remedies, through like word spells, which is what I call like rewriting your mind programming, you're basically telling yourself stories all the time. So how can you shift those stories in a productive way in your own language and utilize that as a tool, you know, so we worked on some of those things together so that you could kind of break up the energy of the Saturn on the Mars so that the Mars could flow more freely. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And that's kind of what I was talking about with, you know, I have an
1: intense personality. So I need that constant reminder. It's that Mars (laughs) of like, Mm -hmm. my work will get done. I don't have to worry about that. So my reminder is like to take it down a notch. And
0: Yeah. And Saturn, your work will get done. And Saturn also causes us sometimes to try to do it too perfectly. You know, that's the other piece of Saturn is like, There's fear of not showing up in a certain way, you know, or not being received in a certain way that can happen with Saturn. And so we have to work on that as well and being like, what is my why? Again, why am I doing this? Like you're a Jupiter ruled person. So it's easy for you to tap into like vision and like generosity and expansion and all those things. So going back to that and then coming back at the Saturn with like a chisel tool and being like, okay, we're going to kind of chisel you away from this Mars so that I have a smoother path forward because I can remember why I'm doing it.
1: And when you say chisel, it reminds me too of like this idea of the friction
0: there between Saturn and Mars. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I feel like most of my clients either have something going on with Saturn and Mars or with Saturn and Mercury. (laughs) And that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, you know, Mars is planet of moving forward action intensity. Saturn is cold, constricting, delaying, right? So they're completely opposite, but they're both malefics. So you kind of have to deal with the overt kind of I don't want to say negative because it's so negative, but like, you know, this kind of harsher tendency that these two planets have. And then when they're afflicting each other, they're harsh to each other and within whatever space is in your chart. So for you, it's around your personal business, you know, and so for you, business really is your Dharma, like trying to figure this thing out. Like how to make money in a good way and do the things that you're supposed to be doing your dharma you know all those things and be responsible for it yourself like all those things are part of your dharma so it's really remarkable that you've been able to achieve all the things that you have it's really awesome
1: thank you I still have the word spell in the voice memo on my phone and use it like I used it yesterday.
0: I love that. I still use them too. I tell my people inside my program, which is called your magnetic blueprint. So I tell those folks all the time, like, I still do this work. I may have my number, but things change in your budget and your number shifts. And then you have to like look back at it. You know, you have to reevaluate your vision. You have to look at new stories that come up for yourself as you peel back layers. It doesn't stop as long as your heart is beating and you're alive. You're, you know, you're going to have work to do.
1: Yeah. And I feel like accepting that and just bring so much joy to the process.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. And having awareness about it, it's sort of like you're able to like navigate more smoothly and use tools that you have, you know, Yeah. I feel like that's the
1: spiritual maturity. Not that I've reached it Mm -hmm. (laughs) on the path, but like even comparing myself to 10 years ago, thinking that if I got the tool, the right tool from a teacher program or a class or whatever, like that problem would be done. Mm -hmm. But understanding that there's always going to be a new challenge and the tool just helps us to navigate it with more ease and less attachment.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. That's why I say awareness is the best remedy. When we're aware, we have more space. It's like, you know, with karma, when something, when we're not aware, it's like we're speeding on the highway with like, while we're trying to send a text and we're listening to, you know, some loud music and, 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 and there's all these cars around us. Like that's a lack of awareness and awareness is like, we're going the speed limit. We're listening to some like chanting, (laughs) you know, nobody's talking to us from the passenger seat. Like we're able to just kind of glide forward and be more secure that if if an obstacle came into our path, we'd be able to kind of navigate around it.
1: Oh, that's so beautiful and such an easy thing to visualize. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So I'll put your links in the show notes, but... Where can listeners find more about you and your work and share your podcast too, of course?
0: Sure. Yeah. My podcast is called Weave Your Bliss. And my website is weaveyourbliss.com. And I'm at Weave Your Bliss at, on Instagram. So it's pretty easy to find me. Um, yeah. And on my website, you'll see different ways that you can work with me. You can book a call there if you are curious and you want to see if you're a fit. Um, I always tell people the worst thing that'll happen is I'll share a resource with you, but I'm like, I, I'm very clear, like who's a fit for what work that I do. And, um, we'll make sure, you know, you get served in the best way possible.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much for your time today.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Weave Your Bliss podcast. We hope it was inspiring for you. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave a comment for us. I want to thank the team at Team Podcast who helped get this podcast out to you. And also to thank the musicians who were the creators of this beautiful music we're listening to now. It comes from an album, Fragments of a Season by Alexis Georgopoulos and Jeffrey Cantula Desma. So check it out wherever you get your music. Have a wonderful day and we will connect soon on a future episode. Thank mm-hmm. you.